You're listening to the Unsunday Show. Hey friends, Mikey Adams here with the Unsunday Show. Appreciate you joining me again today in this episode number 26. We're closing in on episode 30. Actually, I guess we're closer to episode 27 than we are 30. But hey, we're moving right along here one way or another and uh, appreciate you all joining me again today and jumping on board. Before we get started, I just want to mention the new Facebook page that I created for the End Sunday Show. A lot of you have already jumped on board with me and I really appreciate that. I appreciate your uh, encouragement and support there and I'm looking forward to seeing where that page goes. It's really just kind of a reflection of this podcast and of the website and anything else that I decide to put on there as time moves along. But if you'd like to jump on board with me, the address is facebook.com forward slash unsunday, facebook.com forward slash unsunday, and that'll land you right there on that page. So shout out to all of you who have jumped on board with me so far and Just wanted to let you know that I do appreciate that. It's really encouraging to me. Hey, today I want to talk to you about another person in church history who lived during the same time of the Reformation. He was pretty much contemporary with uh, both Luther and Zwingli, and a little bit so with uh, John Calvin. But his name was William Tyndale, and William Tyndale was born in England in 1494 and died in 1536. Probably one of the biggest contributions that William Tyndale made, which affects us, is he translated either the first or one of the first New Testaments into English. You remember at that time that that sacral system, which was present in Europe, only had one church. There was only one option for church, and those who belonged to the church were considered everyone in a geographical location, which is why infant baptism was so important because that infant baptism made you a member of the church as a baby, and you grew up as a member of the church, whether you had personal faith or not, you were considered part of the body of Christ, part of the church in that area. Well, William Tyndale was a very intelligent man. He was a scholar. He was a New Testament scholar. He was actually fluent in eight different languages, one of which was Koine Greek, the Koine Greek, which was the uh, the old Greek, the old common Greek, Koine means common, the old uh, common Greek that the New Testament was written in. And he was quite the scholar. Well, he saw the need to translate a version of the New Testament in the common language of the people, which at that time for him was English, that old English language. And as I was saying just a moment ago, in that sacral system, you only had one version of the Bible, and it was the Latin Vulgate which Jerome had translated hundreds of years prior. Well, the problem with that is that the people sitting in these church services didn't understand Latin. No one knew Latin except the scholarly. No one knew Latin except those well-educated. And most of the people weren't well-educated. The illiteracy rate was quite high, and as the mass was read, as the services were read in Latin, the people sitting there really didn't know what was going on. They didn't understand what was being said exactly, and so they were dependent upon the priests, the bishops, etc., to tell them what it said. In other words, they weren't able to make decisions based on their own thinking, based on their own beliefs. They had to rely on this third person telling them what to do. 
And that person, as we've talked about so many times in this podcast, had all the power. Remember, the church had become bishop and pastor and priest-centric. And those people were the ones with all of the power, and you couldn't disagree with them. Well, here's William Tyndale, who's quite the scholar, who felt God wanted him to translate the New Testament into the common language of English. And as he began to trek down that road and to see some things in the Greek New Testament, which the church really had kind of misinterpreted and as a result had misinformed the people about what was going on as far as the body of Christ is concerned, as he began to see those things, it started to get him into some hot water because he was being pressured to translate the New Testament as he translated it, translated it into English. He was being pressured to preserve some of the misconceptions which, which had previously been taught in the, sacral, in the Christian sacral system which was in place. Well, he didn't want to do that, and that got him in some hot water. And so as Tyndale began to translate the Greek New Testament into English, he came across four or five words which he thought were important to translate more correctly than had been translated in the past, because the previous translations had led to confusion and had fed the top-down authority sacral system which was in place by interpreting these words uh, incorrectly. Tyndale spoke of the heresy of failing to correctly dot an I, and so he was given to great detail in his translation, and he wanted to be honest with the text. And so there were four or five words that Tyndale uh, refused to translate as the, the church wanted him to translate, and instead translated them according to how he saw the Greek New Testament uh, use them, and according to the definitions that the Greek New Testament itself demanded. And some of those words were the Greek word presbuteros, which means elder, and the Greek word ekklesia, which he translated as congregation instead of church. And then he translated the word agape as love instead of works of charity. And he translated the Greek word metanao as repent instead of doing penance. And taking that stand got him in trouble. Remember that the, the Greek word presbuteros for elder is probably the most common word used in the New Testament to describe the function of a pastor, the function of a shepherd. And Tyndale translated presbuteros as a senior person or as an elder as it uh, should be translated. Well, the church up until that time had been using the word priest for that word. Well, Tyndale said, no, that's, that's not priest. Priest in the Greek New Testament is a completely different word, and when it's used in the Greek New Testament, it's used in reference to the Jewish religious officials, not to pastors or people with gifts of shepherding within the assembly, within the congregation. And so he correctly translated presbuteros as a senior person or as an elder, refusing to translate it as, as priest, which had been done in the past and which he was being pressured to do. But presbuteros in the Greek New Testament is really a reference to an older, an older person. And so Tyndale ended up translating presbuteros finally as elder. And then concerning the church, the ecclesia, Tyndale also recognized that the word ecclesia correctly referred to an assembly or a congregation of people, not a location, not an event to attend, but a group of people, a congregation. The Greek word itself means assembly, and ultimately it means those called together by the town crier. You remember there were secular ecclesias at the time that 
that Jesus lived, and even afterwards, we see a, a secular ecclesia in Acts chapter 19 when Paul was disrupting the whole city with the gospel. They called an assembly. They called an ecclesia. There were, there were civil or secular ecclesias all around them. And these ecclesias were assemblies that were called out. Well, that's the root meaning of the word ecclesia. Tyndale avoided using the word church because that's not what the New Testament says. The word church, the English word church, the old English word church, means a a Lord's possession. It means something belonging to a Lord. And it's probably derived from an old Koine Greek word, kuriakon. Now, the Greek word kuriakon, which means something belonging to the Lord, does occur in the New Testament, but it only occurs twice. It occurs in 1 Corinthians 11 in reference to the Lord's Supper, and it also occurs in Revelation chapter 1 in reference to the Lord's Day. And those are the only two occurrences of that word kuriakon, of which the old English word church was derived. And Tyndale saw that, and he said, well, that's not really an accurate translation to put church in there. And so he translated ecclesia as congregation, and that made those in charge mad. It made them angry at him because he wasn't going along with the flow. He wasn't translating these important words the way that the sacral system, the way that the the church at the time wanted him to do it, and those in power wanted him to do it. And so he was being a bit rebellious, but he was being accurate to the text. And thankfully, he thought that was more important. Another word that got him in trouble was the Greek word metanao, which simply means to repent. To repent means to change your thinking. It means to change your mind about something. But the church at that time had translated that word repent into doing penance. In other words, a form of works, a form of works righteousness, that when you sin, there's things you need to do to make it better. The sacrifice of Jesus alone isn't enough in that setting. Fortunately, Tyndale saw through that and said, no, the word metanao just simply means to have a change in your thinking to have a transformed mind, to change your mind about something. And so he translated it as repent or repentance. And again, that got him in trouble. Another Greek word was the Greek word that Tyndale translated as acknowledge or admit rather than confess. You know, that sacral system at the time was all about confessing sin. And so they misrepresented some of the Greek translation and Tyndale caught that. And Tyndale said, no, that, that doesn't mean confess. The word confess is homilegeo. Ex homilegeo simply means to acknowledge or to admit, not to confess. So he translated it again correctly. And that was one more brick that got put in the wall against him. And then there's that Greek word agape, which most of us are very familiar with. It's, it's one of several words used in the New Testament for love. It's the word used for love in 1 Corinthians 13. It doesn't mean charity. It doesn't mean acts of charity. It simply means love. Once again, Tyndale stuck to his guns there and said, well, I'm, I'm going to uh, translate this as it should be, love and not doing works of charity, because the works of charity imply that if you're not doing works of charity, right along with doing things like penance, that you're not working hard enough. And Tyndale said, well, no, that's not true. You know, love comes at us one way. It's one way love, and it's from God to us, and we don't do anything to earn it or to deserve it. And so that word charity, or love, as he translated it, was another word that got him in a little bit of trouble. I want to read you a quote from the book, William Tyndale, A Biography, by David Daniel. 
This is from page 149 of this book, and he says this, quote, He cannot possibly have been unaware that those words in particular undercut the entire sacramental structure of the thousand-year church throughout Europe, Asia, and northern Africa. It was the Greek New Testament that was doing the undercutting, end of quote. And so as William Tyndale began to translate the New Testament into the common language that people could actually understand when they heard it, and those that could read could actually have the ability to read it themselves, he caught these things, and the sacral church that was in place at the time began to get upset with him and demand that he not translate things correctly, translate the things the way that he was going because it revealed something of what had been transpiring all those years with them, and that is the keeping of power for the sake of keeping power. But really, when it boils right down to it, Tyndale's offense was that he was offering the people the language of Paul in plain English, plain English at the time. If you go back and read that stuff, it's pretty rough. But at the time, it was plain English. And he translated these key words, presbuteros, Ecclesia, agape, and metanao in particular, uh, with their correct Greek meanings of elder or senior, uh, congregation, love, and repent, instead of priest, church, charity, and do penance. But let's zero in on just one of those words, and that's the word ecclesia, which he translated congregation, which can also be translated assembly. I want to read you a series of quotes from that same book that I mentioned just a moment ago, And I'll have the title of that book in the show notes for this episode because it's really a good biography of of William Tyndale, and it's worth the read. I'm quoting these uh, next series of quotes from page 122 of that same book, William Tyndale, A Biography, by David Daniel. Talking about Ecclesia, he says this, quote, At its heart is the central New Testament doctrine of equality of sharing the received gifts so that everyone benefits everyone being the congregation which is the body of Christ. That in England was damnable heresy. If Tyndale is saying in print that the body of Christ is everyone without distinction, no laity, no priest, no bishops, no pope, if everyone is equal in Christ, then the gathering of Christians together is a congregation of equals, not a church of divisions and hierarchies where priests and bishop and pope are essential. So Tyndale translated the Greek New Testament word ecclesia as congregation, end of quote. Do you see the drama that was unfolding there? He was saying that the hierarchy distinctions of clergy and laity didn't exist, that there were no such thing as, as priests, there were no such thing as, as bishops, there were no such thing as popes and positions of authority over the people but that ecclesia drove the interpretation of the New Testament to a point where everyone was equal in Christ and there was no hierarchy, there was no power structure, there were, it just didn't exist. This takes us right back to Jesus' words in the Gospels, doesn't it? When talking about top-down authority and who's in charge of whom, Jesus said, you know, the Gentiles do it that way, the world does it that way, but it's not to be that way among you. But if anyone wants to truly be great, let them serve. Let them be the servant of all. Well, certainly by the time of the Reformation, we were a long ways away from that. That whole thing had been turned upside down. Here's another quote from the same page. He says this, Philosophically, he, Tyndale, was correct. Theologically, he was correct too. As the New Testament understands the gathering of believers as a congregation of equals with no distinctions of rank, 
something that does not exist in the kingdom of heaven. Bishops, in Greek overseers, and ministers, in Greek presbyters, that is, elders, are administrative ministers, the word means servant, not the sole agents of God's powers that priests and bishops had become. To the English bishops, the heresy was twofold. The implied equality and the pernicious word congregation instead of church. The bishops saw that this idea, which they took as basically Lutheran rather than scriptural, could make the whole church structure fall apart. End of quote. And that potential of the sacral church system at that time falling apart is exactly the threat that Tyndale posed simply by being faithful to what the Greek New Testament said to the interpretation of the, uh, of the Greek New Testament into the English language at that time, and remaining true to that interpretation, it became a threat to those in power within the sacral church, within the Christian sacral system, and Tyndale became a threat. And so he was pressured to translate differently, and when he refru- refused to do that, he was imprisoned for over a year. Because remember what we said in previous episodes, that in a Christian, well, in any kind of a sacral system, whether it's secular or Christian, you can't disagree with the people in charge. You're not allowed to. You can't have your own opinion. You can't express a different opinion than what you're being told by those in charge, by those in power, is their opinion. You can't vary from that without repercussion. And that's exactly what we see happening in the life of William Tyndale. We see that as he began to be faithful to what the Greek text said, which was in opposition to what the official church positions were and to the translations that were being used in the Latin Vulgate at the time, differed from the Greek New Testament, Tyndale became more and more dangerous simply because he was speaking the truth, simply because he was writing things as they should be written. Well, in a sacral system, you can't do that without being called a heretic. If your opinion differs from the Christian sacral system around you, then you're branded. And at some point, if you continue, you're going to be punished. Because remember, the church has the arm of the state. The church has an army. And the church will enforce its rules and its regulations in a Christian sacral system to the point of even death, if necessary. The death of those who oppose. I mean, that's church history. Church history is replete with that. From the time of Constantine's edict really up and through and past the Reformation, we see that the Christian sacral system that was in place with its associated army wasn't afraid to wield the sword in order to maintain and keep power. Well, when William Tyndale stumbled across the word ecclesia, the Greek word ecclesia, which means congregation, and started to interpret it correctly, he became a real danger. And unfortunately, in 1611, when King James put out the or had the authorized, what was called the authorized version of the Bible translated, uh, the word church was inserted in every spot where the term ecclesia is. When you see the term church in your New Testament, rest assured that the Greek word behind that is ecclesia, which means congregation. And the old English word, which was uh, inserted in there, simply means a Lord's possession. It was talking about an English Lord at, at its root talking about a lord's uh, possession and as we've as i said earlier in this episode that only occurs two times in the in the greek new testament kuriakin it occur it occurs in first corinthians and it occurs in, in the book of revelation but the translators of the 1611 version put it everywhere that the word ecclesia appears within the new testament and so every time you read the word church in the new testament 
The word behind that is the Greek word ekklesia, which doesn't mean church. It's not talking about a building. It's not talking about a location. It's not talking about an event. It's not talking about something belonging to a Lord. It's talking about the God's people. It's talking about the congregation, the assembly, the ecclesia. And that ecclesia, according to Paul in Romans 14, is alive. There in Romans 14, we see the ecclesia functioning with every person in it functioning, with the gifts of the Spirit freely flowing, with no top-down authority. It's an ecclesia. It's a congregation of many, not a congregation of a few. It's a congregation where every member is participating not just a few of us up on the platform. And remember, I'm speaking as, as one of those who used to be up on that platform. I know what that's like. I've been there. I've done that. And that's not the ecclesia. You know, Paul makes an interesting statement in Ephesians chapter 3. He says this, starting in verse 8 of chapter 3 of Ephesians. To me, though I am very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. So that through the church, the ecclesia, through the assembly, through the congregation, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. You think about that for a second. If the, if the church is is one or two people or a handful of people operating and, and using their gifts and the rest of us sitting passively, then how is the manifold wisdom of God displayed in that setting? I think the manifold wisdom of God that that Paul is talking about in, in Ephesians 3 at least partly concerns the functioning of every member, of every believer within the assembly, of every believer within the ecclesia, not just a select few, because it's in the functioning of every believer within the assembly where we see the manifold wisdom of God on display. Because each of us has something to contribute, don't we? Each of us has something that the Holy Spirit is doing in our lives that's a valid and needed contribution to the whole. And if I am sitting there passive in a pew, how am I doing that? How am I participating in that? Well, the answer is I'm not. I'm not participating in that. I'm simply watching someone else participate. Well, listen, while you're sitting there passive in the pew, you have gifts, you have ideas, you have things that are important to be heard, that need to be heard by the rest of us. Because again, getting back to 1 Corinthians 14, the ecclesia, the assembly, the congregation is every member functioning freely and no top-down authority. Well, those in authority want to keep their authority. And so when you start speaking like that, you become dangerous to them. That's when you're going to get labeled a heretic. Well, this is heresy. Don't don't listen to him or don't listen to her because they're on a they're on a bad road. Well, actually, it's a very good road. It's it's a proper road. It's the road that William Tyndale was on as well. Unfortunately, in October of 1536, William Tyndale was martyred because he interpreted five four or five words of the New Testament as they should be interpreted. He went against the sacral system of his day. And as concerning his life, at least, he lost. He lost his life for believing that he needed to make sure he dotted every I and crossed every T as he translated the New Testament into the English language. William Tyndale had, like I said earlier, had been in prison for over a year. He was in Belgium at the time. And he was tried and found guilty. And so the decision was made to burn him at the stake, which they did. 
But prior to his being burned at the stake while he was tied up on the stake and speaking, he was set upon and strangled. So he really died of strangulation. But once he was strangled and once he was dead, they went ahead and burned his body anyway. And so he was both strangled and burned at the stake for his belief that the assembly that Christ is building, that the ecclesia that Christ is building is simpler than what was in place at the time, which was so complicated with hierarchical authority that he believed was wrong and needed to be exposed. And so he died for that. And, you know, the thing is, when, when someone comes up to me and says, well, what's the big deal about ecclesia? You know, what does it matter if we call it a congregation or an assembly or a church? You know, well, my thoughts go back to William Tyndale, and I always think, why don't you ask William Tyndale? Ask him if it's important. Ask him what he thinks about ecclesia and church, and if there's a distinction, and if it's important, because he gave his life for it. So again, William Tyndale was martyred in October of 1536, after getting that entire sacral system mad at him, both the Pope and the King of England at the time didn't like William Tyndale, simply because he was speaking the truth about what the New Testament says concerning church. This is why you'll hear me referring in this podcast a lot to the ecclesia, ecclesia being that Greek word for congregation or assembly. There's a difference between ecclesia and church, and those differences were brought to light boldly by this person in church history named William Tyndale. So that's all I have for you today. I appreciate you guys joining me again. Appreciate your support. Again, remember to check out that Facebook page of the Unsunday show at facebook.com forward slash unsunday. You can also find me online at unsunday.com. And I am in your favorite podcast app as well as iHeartRadio. So hey, if you like what's going on here, tell someone, tell a friend, tell an enemy, (laughs) tell anyone. Anyone you like, and let them know about the Unsunday show. So until next time, y'all take care. Bye.